and welcome to episode five of Kickbox's Email Deliverability Unfiltered Expert Series. Today's episode is all about the importance of permission in email marketing, because not having permission before sending to a recipient can have such a huge impact on sender reputation and your inbox placement. You know, I like to think of permission as one of the main pillars of success for email, because so many issues actually stem from problematic list collection practices. I think a lot more than people realize, you know, and this goes well beyond what can be solved using a tool like email verification, which can tell you if the email address is valid or not, you know, but it cannot magically create an opt-in from your recipients or prevent those recipients from reporting your emails as spam, which we all know is really bad for deliverability. So you know, in all reality, any list which hasn't been built with explicit opt-in that you know really leaves that, that that email program and your ROI vulnerable for a whole mess of issues which can prevent your messages from making it to the inboxes of your intended recipients. Not to mention all of those unmeasurable but really negative impacts to your brand as well. And these are gonna come from you know, customers and potential customers having a really poor experience. And we're gonna have more on that actually in our next episode. So enough on that for now. Um, let's just suffice to say that today we're gonna to be spending time digging deeper into why a lack of permission can have such a large impact on your sender reputation, how you can improve your list collection and maintenance practices in small, but I would say like very meaningful ways to vastly improve your likelihood of hitting the inbox with consistency, which I think is the key for all of us. So I'm joined today uh, by someone who understands the importance of permission all too well, I would say, um, Skylar Hollebach, Senior Manager, Email Reputation, working for two ESP brands, Pardot and Salesforce Marketing Cloud. Um, you know, if you've been following our Kickbox blog, Email Deliverability Unfiltered, you already know Skylar for those awesome haikus and super solid deliverability advice that she's been giving for the past several months. Um, you may also know Skylar because you're a member of MOG, who's heard her speak at general meetings before, typically on something that's related to anti-abuse. Um, or maybe you know Skylar because you're a member of the industry group Women of Email, where she recently has been named as their anti-harassment board member. Um, and there's a fun fact, she'll also be overseeing the relaunch of their mentor program in 2021, which is super exciting for all of us Women of Email. Um, you may have also heard about Skylar from her non-email related passion project. Project, um, where she's actually the CEO of her own company, Atlanta Shieldmakers. Um, this was founded to fill that gap in PPE supply during the 2020 COVID-19 crisis, which we are, of course, still facing. Um, her company has partnered with an organization that's called Atlanta Beats COVID, where she's the chief executive director. And together, they have cast over 4,000 shields to donate to healthcare workers and teachers, COVID testing sites, and vulnerable populations in and around the Atlanta area. So, Awesome stuff there. Honestly, just just wow. Um, you know, it seems like you're keeping yourself pretty busy these days, Skylar. So <laughs> thank you very much for taking the time to chat with us today. Um, really, really great to have you here on the show. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's going to be a really fun conversation. I'm sure we'll get into to lots of crazy stuff. So we'll see where we Probably. go. Oh, gosh. Okay, so before we jump into this conversation on permission, um, I'd actually like to ask a personal question to you, Skylar, about, you know, why it is that you're working in email. And I, I would say more specifically, you know, within more of, of kind of the anti-abuse side of our world, because 
I really, you know, I've, I've lived in that world myself a bit and, and I'm not doing it anymore, but it can be very draining, you know, dealing with all of those user complaints and just that, that variety of new types of email abuse that can just kind of pop up out of the blue. And then all of a sudden your to-do list is just sort of totally just gone. Right. So, um, yeah, I guess, you know, long, long-winded way of saying, you know, what is your favorite part of email and you know, really, why is it that you do what you do? Yeah. Um, so I kind of got into email and it, it sort of feels like everyone gets into email by accident. Um, nobody ever really like goes into college. is like, I'm going to work in email. Sort of happens. Mm-hmm. So it just sort of happened to me in that, um, I was working support at Pardot and there was a meeting and they said, Hey, who wants to run email compliance and deliverability? Uh, it was my first job out of college. So I was just sort of volunteering for everything. Mm-hmm. Didn't know what it was, but I was like, yeah, I'll totally do it. Um, and sort of now here I am, but, uh, really in terms of my favorite part of email, I think the most interesting part is something you touched on is that, you know, something could pop up overnight. There's this new way of attacking something, or there's some sort of new type of spam that people Mm -hmm. have figured out that you need to now work quickly to try and solve. Um, That's really something that, that really gets me is that like, there's always something new to learn. There's always something new going on. Yeah, totally. I really love that. And I think that's, that's, that's really been kind of true with a lot of people that I've talked to recently. It's just, they love the fact that it's not a static thing. It's like, we are constantly having to learn new things and, um, you know, spammers are are really, really good at their jobs. And so it's, it's really important for us to kind of keep up with them and then kind of figure out what it is that they're doing next. Right. So, um, yeah, I love that. That's, that's really awesome. It's also interesting actually that you mentioned, um, sort of the touched a little bit on the mental health component of it too, is that, yeah, spam complainers are often not the nicest. Um, so there is a, definitely a burnout aspect to it. There's some mental health parts to it that, that really speak to me and that, that I really enjoy um, working on with my team, especially. Awesome. Yeah. And I know you've been really active with this, like within MOG and other places. So I, I really, you know, I think I've got some questions for you later on this. So we'll, we'll kind of jump back into this because it's, it's, it's definitely a topic that I think our audience will find very interesting. So um, cool. All right. Well, so for now, um, let's dive into permission a little bit, huh? Um, yeah. Okay. So so I think you know, in my opener, I, you know, I mentioned that any list which hasn't been built through an explicit opt-in process can leave a brand's email program, you know, pretty vulnerable to like a whole mess of different issues that can prevent their messages from going to the inbox. So let's talk about what some of those issues are. You know, what, what happens when you don't get permission first before you email someone? Uh, nothing good. So <laughs> blacklistings are a big issue. Yeah. Um, user complaints are pretty significant either through a feedback loop. So clicking this is spam in your email client mm-hmm. or through uh, people complaining to the abuse desk, the abuse act contact through ESP. Um, really high bounce rates are a big issue, really low engagement. Um, one thing, you know, people don't really think about when they buy a list is that if that's for sale to you, how many other people have bought that list? How good honestly is the quality of that list? Right. And so you're really wasting money on this non-engaged, huge unsubscribed, huge bounce rate, just massive a list. Yeah. And, you know, it's funny that you mentioned that because I think that's the other thing is, you know, those companies, of course, are always telling you that the list is very up to date and that it's, you know, it's it's opted in. Um, but I think what people kind of lose sight of is the fact that those people didn't opt into your brand. They have no idea who your brand is. Um, in fact, that that opt in, which is legal, um, is, is probably something that was hid, hidden like within a, a privacy policy. And it mentions a whole bunch of different brands that they're sharing data with. Um, so to your point, it's like, you, you know, you're buying that data, but who else has that data? How old is that data? Um, how many other people are spamming to that same recipient? And you're kind of going to get thrown into this mix of um, just somebody who's already kind of frustrated and, and very likely to mark your messages as spam. So yeah, pretty dangerous stuff there. 
Cool. Okay, great. Um, yeah, so I think we, we've touched upon a, a bunch of different issues that could be potentially, um, you know, a problem there. But, you know, I think one of the other impacts that, that people also don't really think about, um, it's kind of like a less direct headache of faulty email practices, um, is, is the idea that your ESP could rate limit or suspend or eventually even terminate your account due to violating their acceptable use policy, right? Yeah. So this might start with you just having your, your messages like restricted at first with your sending volume as you're working towards that remediation. And, you know, maybe it's your first offense. It's going to be what, you know, a couple of hours before maybe they'll release you and let you go back to normal sending. It could sometimes take days or weeks or even longer, depending on how bad those actions that you did were. So I think that's one of those, um, you know, I often hear people say, yeah, but you know, my spam rate isn't that high. It's, it's acceptable within my ESP. Um, you know, that's, that's a problem. So you have to have really good stats, but if they find out that you're using a list that hasn't been built through permission, that is typically going to, to lead to termination pretty quickly, unless you're pretty much, you know, willing to kind of trash that list or agree to never send to them again. Right. Yep. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And I guess, is that something, you know, when you're working with, you know, with customers who kind of fall into to that, um, that scenario, like what, what does that look like for you? I mean, I'm sure it's one of those, like, they're like, why, why are you antagonizing me? I'm not doing anything wrong. And you're just calling me a spammer. You know, like, how do you have to overcome, you know, that, that sort of um, mentality, I guess. Oh, I could do a whole nother video on that. But um, <laughs> a lot of it is sort of getting past the, you know, you must hate us. And I can't believe that you're harassing us and this sort of thing. Cause it's, there's no nice way to say like, I don't care about you, you, you personally, it's not personal. It really is not. I am trying to protect the entirety of my infrastructure. I need to protect my entire client base mm -hmm. because if, if I'm not taking care of my infrastructure and if I'm just like, yeah, we're an ESP, we allow whatever we can have our entire infrastructure blocked. Right. We can have issues at every inbox ever. And we're going to, we're going to harm the people who are trying to do the right thing. Um, right. So some arguments I'll get are, you know, Oh, well, we send millions of emails. Mm -hmm. Why do we, why are you going after me for this one direct complaint? One direct complaint doesn't mean only one person's complaining. It means one person's taken the time to come find my desk and to say, I am getting unsolicited email. Right. Yeah. That's yeah. Huge. That is a huge one. And, and I think that's, that's also another one of those things like there's, there's such a huge difference. And, and we'll talk about this in a bit too, the different types of, of spam complaints that, that people can do, because it's, it's very easy, you know, within your web browser to just be like market spam. Right. Yep. Um, if somebody actually digs into the email headers, like even knows how to look at email headers and finds out which ESP sent that mail, like that's, that's a pretty intense process. And you can imagine as they're doing that, they're just getting angrier and angrier, the harder it is. Um, but yeah, if they take the time out of their day to do that, that is, that is definitely a clear indication that they, they're not just a little bit annoyed. There's, there's a serious problem there probably. So and, cool. you know, I, my goal here is not to kick you off. Right. My goal here is to try and rehabilitate because honestly, if I kick you off immediately, you're just not really going to learn. You're going to go create more problems for other people. Mm -hmm. I want, the, the network fixed. I want everything clean. Uh, it, it doesn't help me. It doesn't help me help you if you just are like, fine, I'm out. Yeah. It's yeah. Like, Bye. Which brings me, I think, to, to, to my next point, because I think the other argument that I typically heard when I was working for the abuse desk was like, but it's legal, <laughs> right? Um, I'm allowed to do this, you know, I, I'm allowed to purchase data within my country or not even if it's purchased data, even if it's, you know, something else, um, they're, they're very much like, but I'm within my legal rights to do this. Why are you giving me such a hard time? So can you, can you walk us through why that is, that is not the bar that you kind of want to set your email program at? Yes. Um, one of sort of my favorite jokes in the industry is we call can spam, you can spam. Um, 
because there's there's nothing they're right there's nothing within can i'm not a lawyer not legal advice you know um there's nothing within can span that says you have to have opt-in so you know while your lawyer's interpretation may be that you can send unsolicited email it doesn't mean that your esp is going to allow it contractually so the majority of reputable esps will publish and enforce a permission requirement um, it's really a requirement of the industry to not allow you to send spam. What? So really my favorite analogy for can spam is um, say there's a law that requires you to wear clothes to work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's good. We can get behind that. That's mm-hmm. fine. Yeah, like that. uh, yeah. You know, pandemic notwithstanding. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but you have a coworker who comes in, they go to the gym beforehand and they do not shower afterwards. People are not really going to want to be around that person. They don't smell super great. Um, the gym goers abide by the law, they're wearing clothes, but they also have to take showers if they want people to work with them. Um, that's kind of the same for the email industry. You know, the law, your lawyer's interpretation may say we can totally send mail without permission, but you need to go above and beyond that if you actually want your mail delivered and you want us to work with you to get your mail into the inbox. Couldn't um, agree more. Yep. Now, again, you know, that works if you're not in a pandemic, we'll just say this is a very nostalgic analogy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it'll come back around. I'm very right. optimistic one day we're going to get back there. So it'll be, it'll be relevant again. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think you, you, you touch on a great point because it's like, you know, first of all, can spam is the lowest bar in, in legal legality, right? Like there's other types of, of um, you know, of, of regulations such as, you know, GDPR, um, CASEL in Canada. Um, we've got um, the CCPA, which, which was recently released in, in California. But all of these, I mean, really, if you think about it, you know, mailbox providers do not care about legality when they're, you know, deciding what's gonna land in the inbox. They're yeah. really looking to just deliver messages that are wanted and, and are, you know, kind of shown by their users that they actually find some kind of value in them because they're taking positive actions. They're not marking them as spam at, at high rates, right? All of that stuff really matters. And so it's, it's yeah, sure, maybe you're not going to get fined for, for doing what you're doing, but um, that does not at all mean that you should expect your message to go to the inbox. Mm-hmm. Yeah, cool. Um, great. Okay. Um, so yeah, I think, you know, we've, we've touched upon, you know, kind of the, the main ones in the blog article. Um, we'll give you a little bit more information on some of those, those types of, um, of legislation that we just mentioned so that you've got a basic understanding of those, but um, really, you know, we're not going to, we're going to probably have a separate session on, on, on um, regulation because it really is, is kind of a big one. Um, you know, but I really think, you know, when, when you're, you're trying to figure out what to do for your specific email program, really look at where you're sending, right? Um, and if you do send to, to places where you think that maybe, you know, it's kind of outside of that space, right? I didn't even touch up upon um, Asia Pacific region. So if you're sending to that region or anywhere else in the world, really just, you know, contact your local deliverability folks or your ESP to figure out if there's anything additional that you need to be doing to make sure that you're compliant in every single way. Okay, so we touched upon the fact that user complaints are one of the likely outcomes of sending to recipients without permission, but I'm not sure if everyone's aware that there are different types of user complaints. Um, so Skylar, I'd love to have you walk us through um, each of those, those kind of main different types. You know, What's the difference from a technical perspective, as well as how are these treated or viewed differently by ESPs and mailbox providers? Okay, yes. So first off, you have what we call an FBL, which is a feedback loop. Mm-hmm. Um, so basically what that means is that you are clicking, this is spam in your inbox provider, whatever you're getting your mail in that actually loops back into, uh, your ESP. So when you, when you actually, <laughs> fun fact, before I got into email, 
Clicking that button, I thought it didn't do anything. <laughs> really? I thought it was I thought it was a placebo button. They wrote in to just make you feel good when you click. Yeah, I feel better now. Okay, good. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I did something. It does something. Turns out uh, it actually does go back to your ESP. It does loop into your email reports. You do see that action actually being taken. Um, now, your ESP should set that up for you. So it's not really no, super important to know who does offer one, who doesn't. Really, it's just important to know that Gmail does not. Mm -hmm. So it may potentially make your rates artificially low because you're just not seeing that activity being fed back in from Gmail. That makes sense. Yeah. And I think that's one that people don't think about. Like figure guys, if, you're, if your list is, you know, 60% Gmail or something really high and you're telling your ESP like, wait, but I don't have high complaints. That's not a problem. Your ESP might actually be looking at your complaint rate at um, the destination level. So they're seeing what it is at Hotmail or Yahoo at places that actually are giving that feedback loop data. So, you know, yeah, Gmail, um, you really have to kind of discount that from, from whatever you think your, your complaint rate is. So, yeah. Well, and so that's why actually, even when people say, oh, well, sure, we have this one complaint. Yeah, sure, we're buying lists, but our spam complaint rate is really low. Mm -hmm. It may be artificial because Gmail doesn't give me that data. Yeah, right. That makes sense. Cool. Um, great. Okay. So feedback loops. Um, Okay, moving on. I guess what um, what other types of, of user complaints do you think we should be? Well, I guess like first before we move on to, to, to other types, um, you know, what is you know one question I think that we get very regularly is sort of like, well, I have I have high spam complaint rate. What what gives? Like, why is this? I'm 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 using permission. I'm getting permission from my users. I'm targeting them the way that I should be. Everything looked fine, and now all of a sudden today, something changed, and I didn't change anything. What gives? What what happened there? That would take a lot more investigation because you probably did change something. Okay. Um, I think the first thing, if someone just comes to me as like, oh, why do I have these high spam complaint rates? Mm -hmm. I would say, do you have an unsubscribe that is working? Mm -hmm. Does your unsubscribe, uh, is your unsubscribe easy to find? Mm -hmm. Did you suddenly hide it under that like super long legal paragraph your lawyers made you put in and it's like in the tiniest possible font and it doesn't look a link? That's a problem. If I cannot find your unsubscribe, I'm probably going to hit this as spam. I'm going to do as, as the one getting that mail, I'm going to take the easiest path to getting that mail to not come to my inbox anymore. Right. So I would start with looking at your unsub. Okay. Yeah. And actually that's a great thing. Cause you know, I think, um, you know, we, oftentimes people are like, you know, always be testing, test your program, test your workflows, make sure that everything's running the way you do. And we all say that that's a good idea, but I think oftentimes people forget to test that unsubscribe link. Um, it's definitely something that you want to just make sure, make sure you're, you're able to, to collect those because if not, like Skylar said, your people are just going to market as spam, which is definitely much worse for your deliverability. So yes, um, uh, you should not have to play where's Waldo with your unsubscribe link. Agreed. Yes. And definitely do not try to hide it in the same font as your background or put it in really small text. Honestly, if you're having issues with, with user complaints, sometimes one of the things that we'll recommend is, you know, put that unsubscribe link at the top of your email, um, remind people kind of, you know, where they signed up, how they signed up, why you're emailing them in the first place, especially if it's been a while, but uh, you know, you really want to make that process as, as easy as, as possible, as humanly possible, really. Um, cool. All right. So I guess now maybe we can switch gears and focus a little bit on the complaints that are received at the abuse desk. Um, so, you know, who sends them, uh, where are they coming from? And I guess how, how are these so, so different from feedback loop complaints. You've already touched on this a little bit, but we'd like to, to dig a little bit deeper. Yeah, so other than feedback loop complaints, there is direct complaints. Mm -hmm. So a direct complaint is basically just an email sent to the abuse desk. Mm -hmm. So pretty much all of us, to my knowledge, have an abuse at address. So it's pretty, it abuse at Pardot, abuse at Marketing Cloud, abuse at you know, whoever. Um, so 
that comes from really anyone who understands how to read headers can send us an abuse complaint. Um, even people who can't read headers, um, we actually have a form on our website that says, hey, if you want to report abuse, here's a form on how to do it. Please give us headers. Here's how you go find headers. Hmm. Um, and I've had quite a few complaints actually through that form. Um, so really it's just if someone is mad enough to take the steps to come to complain to me about spam, they will find a way to do so. Okay. Makes sense. Yeah. And I think that that is one of those, you know, we touched upon like, you know, unsubscribe links that are broken or something like that, but it, it really is typically like someone who is trying to do the normal path first and finding problems with that. Right. Like they're like, this is the fifth time I've unsubscribed and they keep emailing me or the link doesn't work. And I mailed it to them, whatever it is. It's, it's, they're really frustrated. And sometimes they're saying like, I don't even want to hear from you as an ESP ever again, because I'm so frustrated by this mail. So um, yeah, definitely something to, 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 to stay on top of for sure. Um, cool. All right. So um, I guess, you know, is there, is there anything else that people should know about user complaints that we kind of haven't touched upon? I think we've, you know, we've pretty much covered a lot of stuff, but is there any other, any other thoughts that you want to give about um, what people should be focusing on there? I think um, one common question I get asked is, well, okay, so what is an acceptable spam complaint rate? Mm, great one. Yeah. Um, and you know, what, what spam complaint rate can I, can I be under to get inbox placement? Um, and really sort of, the best spam complaint rate is obviously zero. Mm -hmm. That may not be realistic for, you know, X, Y, and Z, whatever reasons. Um, but it's also not necessarily linear. So you may have a zero spam complaint rate. Say you're never sending a Gmail. We'll just X that out for now. Mm -hmm. Um, but you're not hitting an inbox. Why? Mm -hmm. It may be that there are 500 other reasons that you are just not hitting that inbox. Mm -hmm. So I really would caution against saying like, oh, if you have a 0% spam plate rate, you're definitely getting into the inbox. Right. Um, it's just not true. Email deliverability is a massive puzzle. Mm -hmm. So it's just one piece of the puzzle to at least help try and get you to the inbox. It doesn't necessarily mean you're going to be in the inbox. I like that. Yeah. And, and I do think, you know, user complaints are a big part of it, right? They're a big, bigger piece of the puzzle, let's say, than, than maybe some other stuff. But but yeah, it definitely needs to be that balancing act of kind of doing everything right and, and kind of hoping for the best. Um, and I think, you know, to, to your point as well, like if you have a 0% spam complaint rate, that might be a sign of a problem as well, because maybe it's the fact that all of your mail is kind of going to the spam folder and people cannot <laughs> mark your messages as spam when they're already sitting in the spam folder. So um, if you're at that point, I would say, you know, really maybe try to look and, and pair like your open rates as well. So if you've got really low open rates, especially if they were high at some point and then they kind of slowly drop off and you also see a 0% complaint rate, that's probably something that you definitely want to look into. Okay, cool. So um, now let's move on to, to, to maybe something that's a little bit more um, optimistic, which is ways that people can improve their list collection. Um, and so I guess, you know, there's a bit of like a quality over quantity debate here, I think, when it comes to sort of like how you set up your list collection practice. And, and for me, I'm always kind of trying to remind people to, to pair whatever their process looks like with their goals with email, right? Like if your goal really is just to get, you know, if you're you know a publisher and your, your goal is just to get as many eyeballs on your on your, your stuff as possible, maybe you do want to have a very simple process, like a single opt-in kind of process. Whereas if you're really looking for that quality aspect and you want to grow your list with people who are really going to engage with your list, you want to move to something that's a little bit more, um, well, confirmed, like confirmed opt-in. So um, Skylar, can you kind of just talk to us about the, the different methods, I guess, or maybe which ones you would recommend? Yeah. Um, so there's two very common ones that you've mentioned. There's single opt-in. It's basically, give me your information in this form. We're going to start sending email. Have a nice day. 
Um, then there's confirmed opt-in. So you fill out a form. I send you an email that says, hey, did you fill out that form? And are you sure you want to get email from us? You say, yes, I do. Then now you're on the list. Um, then there is confirmed opt-in light, which is basically sort of a mix between the two. Um, you have single opt-in. So someone fills out a form, you go ahead and add them to your list, but not your main list. You put them into a quarantine list. We all know the word quarantine now. <laughs> yeah, so, yes, a whole new meaning now, huh? <laughs> you put them into a quarantine list though. You send the mail, you see how they're engaging. Are they engaging? If they are engaging, you can add them to your main list. They're obviously interested. You, they should be there. If they're not engaging, you know, at that point, they're probably not worth adding to your main list and you can leave them. I love so that. It's a way of keeping your stuff clean without necessarily needing to go full confirmed opt-in. Nice. Okay. Yeah. And I guess, you know, how, how would you say maybe like a CAPTCHA fits into this? Like, would you recommend a CAPTCHA or some sort of kind of protection for all forms? Do you think that maybe like that, you know, COIL would be, would be an option to kind of say, I don't really want to have a CAPTCHA or, or do you think it's just necessary for everyone? You need to have a CAPTCHA. Absolutely. Okay. Cool. Um, we had some issues. It's been a while, but um, where bots will go to forms and they'll just throw in information. Um, but they'll throw in information to every form they can possibly find for the express purpose of making someone's inbox so full of spam they can't get anything done. Wow. Yeah. Um, so you absolutely need to protect your forms uh, so that you are not part of those types of attacks. And that was one of those interesting, like, wasn't a thing. And then I woke up one morning and suddenly it was a thing. And we had to figure out, like, what do we do? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that's that's the painful part. You know, it's, it's kind of like, you know, when people are like, well, you know, I'm not going to get cancer. I'm going to keep smoking and, you know, just drinking and we'll do whatever else. Um, you know, it, it really is just you need to get ahead of this stuff and kind of be proactive and really just think, like, don't wait until you, you kind of get bit. Like, really, really focus on this <laughs> all of the time. Well, and there's also stuff in proactive as well that you can do. You can filter out obvious swear words. Um, filter out the word spam. Filter out profanity. Uh, if people are typing that kind of stuff into your form, you don't, you don't want to be emailing them. Agreed. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And I think that's where, you know, whether you're, and you mentioned, this is something that you could actually do probably with, I think even certain ESPs actually do this for you. So it's not even something you really have to think about, but you could do it yourself with an ESP. You could also use a tool like Kickbox. We have a real-time verification product that could help with this, right? So like at that point of sign up, um, it's not going to necessarily kick out every bad address or every potential bot address, but it's something that can kind of help protect your forms and kind of call out some of that, that stuff that we can see on the back end because we're seeing so much more data. So we can kind of say, well, you, this doesn't look like a problem to you, but we're seeing patterns of this across lots of different customers. And so we're going to call this address something that you should, you should look into. So, um, cool. Okay. Um, great. Okay. So, um, tell me about expectation setting. How is, is this maybe a way that you can kind of improve your list collection practice? I mean, without, in a way, maybe without even having to do too, too much else to, to improve things, maybe? Yeah, um, so the more you can tell your subscribers about what they should be expecting to get from you, the better. The more upfront and transparent you can be, hey, you're gonna be getting an email a day, mm -hmm. the better. The last thing I wanna do is think, oh, I'm signing up for this email once a month, and suddenly every four hours you're sending me an email. Oof, yeah, that's painful. Uh, yeah, and that has happened. Um, so it's important to remember that, you know, you are basically the center of your email program, right? You know how much email you're sending, you know what your content you're sending, you know all of this stuff about your own email program. I, as your recipient, do not. Mm. I am getting email from everyone all the time. Yeah. 
I don't know all these internal details, these like nitpicky details about everything about what you're doing. So you need to think about that really from my perspective in that I'm expecting X, mm -hmm. suddenly you change something in your strategy and you don't tell me. All I'm seeing is, oh, well, now they're going to go ahead and just send me every email they ever want to send. Mm -hmm. So you need to be super, super clear and hold that expectation with your. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and it, it's funny because, you know, we're, we're talking about kind of like a permission versus a lack of permission a lot today. But I think also, um, you know, there's there's certain types of um, list collection sources, maybe like a co-reg or an affiliate sign up um, or, or maybe even like a sweepstakes, which feels like a very much like, you know, a permission based type of list collection. Um, but, you know, figure if, if you're just there to win the million dollars, you don't notice the five logos at the bottom of that page that are all going to start sending you emails. Um, mm -hmm. You know, so I think it really is important to, um, yeah, on that page to kind of say, hey, just so you know, like you are signing up for all of this stuff and, and make it very clear who, who the brands are, maybe how often they're going to be contacting you, what they might, you know, what kind of content they might be contacting you with. Um, and then maybe even in that first email that you're sending, continue to kind of set those expectations and kind of remind them, hey, you know, you join through this thing and here's the kind of content that we're going to send you. Um, make sure that this is what they want. Like I'll maybe even have like an opt-in process there to say, okay, you signed up for the, for the sweepstakes. Um, you didn't win, but but maybe you want to still hear about our recipes because, you know, we can see that you care about trips to Italy where there's delicious food. I don't know. Um, yeah. So I, I think that's, that's one thing that, that, you know, people don't think about when they're like, but I'm getting the opt-in again. It's not just about the, that, that aspect of um, getting the legal opt-in. It's really just the, the, the experience that you're about to set your customers up for. So, yes. Yeah. Cool. Um, great. Okay. So um, I guess bleeding into um, list collection, I would say we want to kind of give some people some tips about like list maintenance as well. So I guess, can you give us some ways that people can kind of avoid list churn, right? Like either whether that's user complaints, unsubscribes, just low engagement in general, like what, what should they be focused on? What can they do? Kind of depends on the issue, mm -hmm. really. Um, so I think you, you really just need to look at the whole holistic program and just see how you're doing. Um, if you're suddenly having like these really high bounce rates, but you, you have a form, but you don't email them for six months, mm -hmm. something in there is wrong. Those email addresses have changed. Perhaps people have left, people have changed jobs or it depends on your industry, but you know, that's something you need to look at. If you found a list in a filing cabinet from a decade ago, you've sent them email. Suddenly you have super high, spam complaint rates and unsubscribes and everything is going wrong. Probably don't do that. <laughs> Just don't. If yeah. you find a list in a filing cabinet, please shred it. <laughs> it is list decay at an average of 22% annually. Please, please stop. Um, this, the spring cleaning and the we're going to send email to our entire database, even though we haven't mailed them in a decade is a, it's a bad move. Um, I'm a big follower of Marie Kondo. Mm -hmm. um, that list does not spark joy, please. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, but in a non-joking, you know, sort of way. But I think a lot of it is what we talked about. You know, you've got to send the content people are expecting. You've got to send it at the cadence they're expecting. You should really, honestly, make it. And this is controversial. Make it as make it easier to unsubscribe than it was to subscribe. Mm -hmm. If you put that unsub behind a login, I'm going to report to your ESP. Um, and spoiler alert, go talk to your lawyer about that because it may or may not be legally compliant. I'm not allowed to tell you if it's not. Um, you know, if you, if you make it so that, even so that I have to type in my email address into an unsubscribe, for some reason that, that really frustrates me. 
You yeah, have and you know what? While we're on the topic of that, I mean, that one seems like such a terrible idea to me in the first place because figure even if even how often is somebody you know kind of mistyping their own email address? I do it all the time. So if you're doing it at the point of unsubscribe, you as the as the the user think that you've unsubscribed. So when you continue to get mail, um, you're still technically allowed to get mail because you never unsubscribed, but you think you did. So that is definitely going to lead to um, I would say more than just a spam complaint, but probably just like you actually like you know spreading bad word of mouth about that brand as well. You know. Well, I've even had. Um... I've had to talk to an ESP about this, but I could sign up with a plus in my email address. So like to tag it, I can't unsubscribe with a plus because it wasn't encoded properly. There was something where I couldn't do it. So definitely uh, if you're going to allow certain characters at sign up, make sure you can allow certain characters at sign out. Yeah, it's one you don't really think about very often, actually. No. <laughs> uh, cool. Okay. Um, I think what, what's a couple of other ones? Maybe, um, you know, when we're, we're trying to, you know, improve list churn, like, again, you know, uh, Skylar already mentioned, like, you know, making that unsubscribe process super easy. So there's actually something called a one-click unsubscribe that you guys can look into. We'll, we'll include some notes in the um, the blog post about that, um, because that's something that, that you can definitely kind of improve your process. Just, again, making it so much easier for people to, to jump off the list if they're not interested. Um, preference centers, I think, are, are another great way, right? Keep it simple, super, super simple. Um, but that could be maybe a way for you to, to learn a little bit more about why people are unsubscribing, especially if it's happening kind of right after they sign up or, or at like a certain point in, in their journey. Um, understanding directly from them why, you know, where that disconnect is can, can be super helpful as well, I think. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Cool. Um, okay, great. Well, I've got a bit of an open-ended one for you because I, I, I'm really kind of curious to hear like what, what you'll find interesting since you're the person who works in the abuse desk all day. Um, you know, but I think our audience would just kind of love to, to hear like what it's like to work at that abuse desk, right? Like I'm sure there's there's certain patterns that you're seeing and, and maybe you can talk about some of those if they're interesting. Um, you know, maybe what, what abuse desk issues are the hardest for you to deal with and why that is. Um, yeah, yeah, I'd just love to hear kind of what, what you're dealing with on a daily basis. Um, a lot, there's a lot. Um, some of it is even just sort of what I call the compliance sense. You know, you may, there's some, there's some things where you can just, you can just feel like, like the bat, your bat senses tingle and you can just tell something is wrong with this sender. Mm -hmm. Something is going on with this account. You can't put your finger on it, but like, you'll get there. Um, and that's, that's actually what I, what I try and develop a lot in, you know, my own reports is just being able to tell that something isn't right. Um, and that's, I think that's like an intuition or is that like, you're just, you're kind of getting used to like looking at all of the data points and kind of seeing which thing sort of stands out as, as uncommon or, or sort of out of place or what, what do you think is the, the, the main skill that helps you do that? Get a column A, bit a column B. Okay. Some of it is just recognizing that, oh, I had this issue with them four months ago and like just keeping that memory alive, I guess. And then some of it is just, this does not feel right. Um, some of it is even recognizing addresses that can't opt in, um, you know, like Steve Jobs at Apple. That's, there's something wrong there. Mm-hmm. No matter what you get told, that's not, that's not a thing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> so um, yeah, some of it is, is a little bit of compliance sense. Some of it is a little bit of data gathering and just being able to, to put different random pieces of data together to get yourself a full picture of what's going mm-hmm. on. Cool. Um, let's see. Okay. So I, I really want to kind of dig into this, this, this aspect of like, you know, just how, how 
I guess frequent it is for people who work on abuse tests to kind of, you know, to, to deal with burnout, um, depression, maybe anxiety over the fact that you're dealing with like, you know, those, those constant new threats. And so you're kind of like, you, you never feel like you can rest. Um, just the negativity of, of all those people that are just kind of, you know, really angry and, and kind of complaining about something and wanting you to fix it. So I guess, yeah, like what, you know, what are you doing within your own team? Or I guess what advice can you give to people who either work in an abuse test or even just a similar job um, that is just really high stress like that? Uh, well, I think that sort of loops into the question I didn't answer earlier, which was um, what challenges are the hardest to deal with? Yeah, yeah. And a lot of, I think the hardest thing to deal with is just this, this avalanche of negativity you get a lot. Because mm-hmm. um, part of it is, yes, you're getting it externally. You're getting, you know, uh, you guys are terrible and I hate you, you know, internal or from external. You get um, clients who are not thrilled you exist, even though you are there to help. You have perhaps uh, internal parts of the organization that don't super love that we tell them no. Um, you know, so there's not a lot of, people who are like, yay, the abuse desk is here to tell us no. Um, So yeah, that, that can be the hardest challenge and it is um, the most stressful thing to work through. Mm -hmm. But I think something I've noticed as a trend, especially in the last year is people being willing to talk about burnout. Mm -hmm. Being able to say like, look, I am burned out. I have stared at my inbox for like 20 minutes and I haven't touched anything and I'm not sure what's going on. Um, Or, you know, you're, you're waking up and you're just staring at the ceiling. We're discussing it. And I think that's really the best way to start is just acknowledging that this is a very difficult, can be, can be a very difficult job. You're never going to get every spammer. You're never going to win every case. It's never going to happen, but you're not alone. I love that. Cause burnout can be very isolating. Yeah. Yeah, uh, for sure. Yeah. And I feel like it's one of those, like you don't realize that you're burned out until you're so far burned out that you're, like, what, what do I do about this now? I mean, I can't take two months off. Like, what, what am I going to do to get back to, to good, right? So, um, yeah. yeah. So I think even having that within your team is talking about burnout, you know, having, we have a meeting once a month, um, the mission critical move the needle synergy meeting, um, which is intentionally as buzzwordy as it sounds, just because that's our humor. That's um, <laughs> but we just get together and we just complain about stuff. Mm-hmm. It is not a meeting to solve problems. It is just a meeting to talk to each other And so that even like my team who, you know, look up to me to manage them, understand that like, I have these problems too. I am also mad about that client. I am also upset about, you know, my laundry happening um, (laughs) all the time. Um, But, you know, just, just having that human interaction, that human element that you can, you can have that relationship with your team is great. Yeah. Um, But yeah, also recognizing it in each other. Mm -hmm if I can come to you and we have that relationship already where I can say to you, Hey, I've noticed that, you know, your tone in emails has gotten a little bit snippier than maybe mm-hmm. needs to be. And I can say, have, how have you been feeling? Are you feeling burned out? We can talk about it. Yeah. I, I like that one as well. Cause I think that's for like, you know, like you, you tend to, you know, when you're talking, especially now, like we're all distant. So it's like, you know, we don't, we, you can't notice when someone's just kind of a little quiet in the office or a little bit, you know, depressed over lunch. Like it really does take, you know, talking about it and, and kind of sharing time together and, and kind of getting to the bottom of that. So um, very cool. Um, and um, sorry. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. And um, one other thing is in one-on-ones, take the first 15 minutes or take the last 15 minutes to just say, what are you doing this weekend? How are you doing? You know, follow up with them on something personal instead of it always being about work. Yeah. 
Yeah, I like that a lot. And that's great for, you know, team building as well, because maybe you'll find that you actually have something in common and then like all of a sudden you can work together better because you've got this, you know, common language or, um, yeah. So that's, that's, yeah, that's really helpful advice. Um, so I guess that actually leads me into, to my next kind of question for you, because this is one of those, you know, I think there's, there's a lot of people that are kind of up and coming in our industry that are, um, falling backwards into email, just like we did many years ago. So, um, you know, if, if, you know, if you could share kind of one, Kind of like your 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 main piece of advice that you would give to people that are kind of pursuing a, a, a career in email, especially in you know anti-abuse. Um, what would that be? I think it would probably be don't get stuck. And by that I mean don't think you just know everything, and therefore you know because you already know everything about email, there's nothing further to learn, and you're going to shut other people down because you are the expert in email. We are always learning the, the, the industry is constantly evolving. You need to be always open, you know, keep your eyes open to learning, to hearing from new people, from, to hearing new perspectives, um, and to really just taking as much information as you can to be a better deliverability professional. I really love that. And I think that's, you know, it's one of those, like when we go to MOG meetings and even when we have like those monthly, you know, senders committee calls, um, you know, it's like, there are, you know, it's like everyone, someone says something and they're like, this is how I believe this works. And, and this is the way it goes. And then you've got like a lot of different, um, people that chime in and say, actually, I understand it this way, or there's this other thing that you're not thinking about, or I've seen this in the wild. And, and this is, you know, kind of how I treat it. Um, yeah. So it, it's really interesting how yeah, it really, it, not, not to mention everything's changing, but really it's just, you know, you, you it, it's kind of impossible. Email is super hard. Um, <laughs> even if you think, you know, everything, you're probably going to learn something new pretty much all the time. So yeah, I think that's great advice just to kind of be humble and, and willing to willing to hear somebody else's perspective as well. Right. So you um, shorten my advice down so beautifully. <laughs> well, <laughs> Much better than me being like, here's a paragraph. <laughs> oh, I like it. No, but honestly, that's, I, I can't summarize. That's um, if you don't say something really smart first. So thank you for that. <laughs> uh, so um, cool. All right. Well, you know, wrapping up, um, you know, I, I think, um, you know, hopefully all of you guys that are tuning in now realize the true importance of gathering permission from your recipients before contacting them. Um, you know, it really, it's not so much about that legality aspect as it is about just doing right by your recipients and giving them that quality email experience that's going to generate lots and lots of positive engagement with your emails, as well as, you know, very little negative engagement. And so hopefully you never, ever have to deal with Skylar directly. That's a good thing. <laughs> uh, right? So, uh, you know, by, by implementing some, some of those tactics that we've shared with you today, um, you should be able to tackle any deliverability issues that are facing um, that, that are related to, to list collection head on, right? So this is going to improve your inbox placement right along the process. And of course, your ROI from email as well. So uh, female, fellow email geeks, uh, thanks for joining us. Stay tuned for our next episode where we'll be digging into how the customer experience can impact deliverability, um, either by boosting positive engagement with your emails and driving consistent inbox placement for your brand, or by triggering lots of negative engagement, which as you now know, after watching today's episode, is the quickest way to ruin your sender reputation. Um, we're gonna be joined by Kath Pei from Holistic Email Marketing for that episode. So you don't wanna miss it. She is just you know, a wealth of information um, and also actually just released a book that's sitting somewhere on my desk. Anyway, um, thanks so much to you, Skylar, for, for joining us and uh, see you next time, everyone. Yeah, thanks for having me. <laughs>